what does the Bible say about education? Proverbs chapter 1, number 1, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word despise has two meanings that are both applicable to this. Despise can mean to hate it, but despise in in biblical times could also mean to ignore it or to um, disdain it. The Bible says that Jesus despised the shame when he went to the cross. The concept of despising there is that you don't recognize it. You don't notice it. And that is what fools do with the wisdom of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it is a fool that tries to teach apart from a godly basis. That is a foolish thing to do according to the word of God. So what does the Bible say about education? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Look at verse 10. My son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. What is enticing? The Bible talks about enticing words and that enticing words lead people astray when they're not grounded properly. So the concept is Solomon writing to his son, trying to teach him how to be a good king. And for us teaching wisdom, the concept is that we are supposed to um, reject teaching that would be opposed to God's word. All right. My son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Look at verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. The, the concept is that children do not know anything. That's what the Bible says. And that's not insulting to children. They're children. And one of the things about children is they think they know more than they do. And we as parents are supposed to disabuse them of that notion. <laughs> Amen? We're supposed to teach them. And the best thing that you can teach your kids, and it's interesting, the first thing that we're always told to teach our kids is the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that this is serious business, that this world is against God and that we need to be grounded in his law and in his word. And he tells us that over and over and over again. Look at Proverbs chapter nine. And look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now, I'll tell you what, it, this is what I was making reference to this morning. And that is that we have all heard these verses before. 
Now, some of them may be new. The Deuteronomy passage in this context might be new. But how many of you have seen the verse that I just read from Proverbs chapter 9? All right, we're familiar with that. But it's interesting how we, we separate that from education. Isn't it? Seriously, isn't it interesting how we separate that from education? Now let's look at it. Now remember, all truth is God's truth. Amen? You don't have your truth and I have my truth. There's not truth here and then a separate truth somewhere else. There's only truth. And it crosses over all boundaries. So now, so we could, we could read this verse and you name me the subject and we can apply it to it because it's true. So now let's, let's think about education and what is education. Look, look at this verse again. Um, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now let me ask you a question. Are wisdom and understanding a part of education? Would you think? All right. And what the Bible says is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we have a system that is stated to be humanistic, which by definition means anti-supernatural, that's what the definition means. The idea is that you cannot measure the supernatural. You can't measure the soul. And so we, we've got to focus on what may be measured or may be discerned. So they're starting from a place that will not take them to wisdom according to the Word of God. Amen? And then it says this, uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Is the knowledge of the holy a part of the curriculum of the government schools? Well, the Bible says the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Is understanding a part of education? It's supposed to be. Amen. Well, what about what well, we've been talking about the school system in the sense of elementary and secondary but what about colleges? Is the knowledge of the holy readily available at Ohio State? Or honestly, is it attacked? See, that's the thing. When you go to classes that deal with any of the subjects that would have to do with the humanities or the arts or history or even science, uh, unless it's just a strict um, factual course, what we believe is going to be attacked. Amen? Why do we keep supporting the system then? Remember what Joshua said to the children of Israel? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You say, wait a minute, man, I went to one of these other schools. I know you did. I know you did. And you know what? For certain training, I think at some point you're probably better off staying in your own church and, and going to school and, and staying in active in church and the work, work of the Lord. I'm not necessarily opposed to secular secondary educa post-secondary education. But man, we gotta, we've got to think about what the Bible says about education in our concept of education. 
What does the Bible say about education? It begins with the fear of the Lord. Then, number two, all education begins with knowing God. All education begins with knowing God. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. We looked at this verse this morning. Speaking of God and the Father and of Christ, according to verse 2, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's interesting that the purpose of a university education, the purpose of an elementary or secondary education, the purpose of that is to gain knowledge. Would you all agree with that? I mean, that, that is the purpose of it. Now, you understand from this morning that that is not the purpose of the institutions anymore. The purpose of the institution is not to give you knowledge, it's to prepare you to take you into the workforce. I had wanted to mention this to you. Look at this here. This is our definition from earlier today. Education. This is from Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. The bringing up as of a child, instruction, formation of manners, Education comprehends all that series of instruction and discipline which is intended to enlighten the understanding, correct the temper, and form the manners and habits of youth and fit them for usefulness in their future stations. To give children a good education in manners, arts, and science is important. To give them a religious education is indispensable. And an immense responsibility rests on parents and guardians who neglect these duties. You know, you can almost give an invitation after reading Noah Webster's definition. Amen? So we need to understand what education actually is and then what education came to be. We've talked about John Dewey quite a bit this morning and there's part of it, I, I mentioned it in our Sunday school class, but I want to share it with, with all of you tonight. And that is the, that John Dewey in the 1890s, became a supporter of what's called the see and say method of teaching children to read. So rather than teaching phonics, where you actually understand the words, uh, when you study phonics, you understand prefixes and suffixes, and you, you understand how words are put together. So just by looking at a word, even if you don't know its definition, you have an idea, and that makes reading much easier. Well, he endorsed the see and say method, the see, say method, which... He said this, he said, which is not better, but people who will read long books will not be easily socialized. Uh, let me ask you something. The people in Congress, the people who run the major corporations in our country, how many, of them, how many of those people do you think have their kids in public schools? Almost none. You know why? Because their kids aren't going to be worker bees. Their kids are going to be leaders. Now, I'm not insulting you folks that are in the public school system. I'm, I'm, I'm describing to you the mindset of the elites. That's where we are. That is where we are. So their kids aren't taught the CSA method. Their kids are taught phonics. Their kids are taught the classics. When, when I was in college, I had to learn Latin roots so that I could understand English better. Why? Because Dr. Rasmussen thought that
that we ought to know that. You know why? Because he was taught the CSA method in high school in California. And he would mispronounce words all the time. He's talking about, I remember one time he was talking about memorabilia and he was calling it memorabilia. And he made mistakes like that all the time because he was not taught phonics. So he wanted to make sure that we understood how words, what they mean, how they're put together. It's vital that we have that. Well, Dewey did not want the average person to have a broad understanding. He wanted them to be limited to their role as a worker. I'll tell you what, that's profoundly insulting to me. That is profoundly offensive to me. Because if, if Jacob wants to be a laborer, well, praise God, man, I'm all for that. That There is great honor in being a laborer. Amen? There is great honor in that. But I don't want him to feel like that's what he has to do. I want him to get out of school and get on his face before God and say, God, what do you, what do you have for me? I want him to be so well prepared that whatever direction God wants him to go, he can go that way. Amen? When Barack Obama was elected, one of the news commentators said he's, he may be the, the most intelligent president we've ever had. How many of you heard that statement? Anyone ever heard of Thomas Jefferson? You got what did what did he speak? Eight languages or something? You know, he was he was an inventor, a philosopher. Um, he he was a botanist. He was a historian. He was a sportsman. He was what's called a Renaissance man. Do you understand? We don't have Renaissance men anymore. They, they, how many of you know what a Renaissance man is? For those of you who have not heard that term, it's not used a lot, it's a person that can do all different types of things. They're capable of doing all different types of things. My, my father wanted to make sure that we spoke well. He was always correcting our grammar, which was actually bad for me when I went to school because I would pass English classes because I, I knew what it sounded like, but I didn't know why. Do you know when I learned English, how it worked properly? When I took Greek. Isn't that interesting? I had to learn subjugations and declensions and all of those things, and it helped me understand uh, the English language. But my, my dad wanted us to know how to speak. He wanted us to be able to read well. But I, I told the teenagers this. One day I came home from school, I think I was 14, and there was a box on the table, and Dad said, uh, I said, what's this? And Dad said, that's a starter for the Chrysler. I want you to go put it on it. And I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, well, get on your bike, go down to the library and get a copy of the Chilton's book and bring it home and put the starter on the car. So you know what I did? Got on my bike, rode to the library, made a copy of the Chilton's book, came home and put the starter on the car. What was Dad trying to do? He didn't want a boy that had head knowledge but didn't know how to do anything. He wanted us to know how to work with our hands, but he didn't want us to just be able to work with our hands. He wanted us to be able to speak and think and know how to do things. That's what I want for my kids. How many of you feel the same way about yours? Well, understand that if the beginning of knowledge is knowing God, then, folks, we need to make sure that our kids know God. We've got to make sure. And it's interesting it really is interesting that in the life of the average Christian, 
in the life of the average Christian in an independent Bible-believing Baptist church, the, the child's career is much more important than their knowledge of God according to the diligence of the parents. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Is your homework done? Is your homework done? How about this? Did you spend time in the Word today? I wonder when's the last time you asked your child that question. What did you learn from God's Word today? What did you learn at school today? Is your homework done? Is your homework done? Because we have to be prepared for temple. Remember what um, Potter, Francis Potter said? That the public schools are temples to humanism. So we need to understand that if we're genuinely going to understand education, that we need to understand that it begins with the fear of God, and then it begins with knowing God, according to God's Word. Then children must be educated. Number three, children must be educated according to God's rules. Again, famous passage, Proverbs 22, verse 6. If um, One of the things that de Tocqueville said in his famous book, Democracy in America, one of the things he commented on was the literacy rate in America. Everyone could read. And everyone did read. And they were reading things like Plutarch's Lives. They're, they're, they're reading very heavy material and discussing it. You know, the local tavern wasn't just a place to get drunk. It was a place to meet and talk. And in the tavern, you'd hear conversations about Plutarch, about the Bible, about poetry, about, about great writers. And now we get together and talk about football. And I'm, tonight, I'm going to go watch the Bears. Go Bears. That's called balance. So, you know, so I'm not against football, but when's the last time you read a great book? Well, I'm not much into reading. Now, are you ready for this? You would not believe how many pastors have said to me, I don't read much. I'm not much of a reader. And you may have heard me say this. I say this at pastor's meetings. A pastor telling you he doesn't read is like someone telling you they don't wear deodorant. They don't need to tell you. <laughs> Amen? Well, what about you? What are you modeling for your children? Do you read? It's not too late. It's not too late to start. I was never very good at reading. That's because you came up in a system that allowed that to happen. Even if you have a learning disability, you can be helped with that. Some of the greatest thinkers in the world were dyslexic. Some of the greatest thinkers in the world had reading trouble. My brother um, had reading trouble, and it was difficult for him. Now he reads constantly. He doesn't have a job that requires him to read, but he reads constantly. He's a well-informed person, and he could, but he could have fallen back on that idea of, I don't read well. Folks, we need to read. The only difference between you now 
And five years from now, will be the people you meet in the books you read. Other than that, you're going to be the exact same person. Have you ever met somebody that was a friend of yours from years before, and you try and talk with them, and they've not changed? They've not grown. They've not, they've not broadened who they are. Folks, we need to grow. We need to think. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, how many of you believe that passage? But here's what we hear. I brought my kids to church and they still walked away from the Lord. Well, according to the statistic from Barna and from Creation Institute, Creation Research Institute, from uh, Ken Ham's latest book, 80% of the kids who grow up in Bible-believing churches who go to the public schools walk away from the Lord within two years of high school. So apparently God's word isn't true. Apparently, experientially, God's word is not true. Or maybe the training we're given them is not in the way they should go. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. Look around you. Look at these guys right here. I'm not real good at math. But there's four of these guys right here. That means, what, three of them? Are going to be gone? Don't go, guys. We love you. We need you. Don't go, man. We need to train you. And I know your folks, that, I know that's what we're doing for you here. But do you see what I'm saying? How many of you have ever heard this verse before? Would you raise your hand? Now, how many of you are seeing it a little bit differently tonight? I hope that you are. Because the training that we have been giving our children, apparently, is not the training that this verse is talking about. Or... God's word has ceased to be true. I just want to let that sink in a little bit. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. So number one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Number two, all education begins with knowing God. Number three, children must be educated according to God's word. Then number four, children must know the consequences of disobeying God. Children must know the consequences of disobeying God. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Now remember, we're looking at all of these verses in the context of education. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36. I'm sorry, I think I said 26, but it's verse 36. 
But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Is there anyone here that loves death? No. But you understand that when someone hates God, and that is what the humanists do, right? They despise Him. They hate Him. They love death. What, why? What, why is that true? Why is that axiomatic? An axiom is something that is on its face true. Why is this a law of God? Well, because God said it, number one. And number two, we see the results of it. Do you understand what's going on in our society? How many babies have we killed? You know that Western civilization is almost gone? It's almost gone. If you read Pat Buchanan's book, The Death of the West, has anyone here read that book, The Death of the West? Go to the library and get it. Death of the West. Every, every person in here ought to read that book, The Death of the West. Within 50 years, if the Lord doesn't return, Western European culture is going to be a thing of the past because we're not having children. We're not having children. Muslims are reproducing 10 and 12 at a time. We're having 1.2 kids or whatever. And we're aborting. I think it's something like one in three children are aborted in America. I think that's the number. Does anyone know for sure what that number is? I'm pretty sure that's the number. So now do you understand how hating God, people that hate God love death? That's, that's the world that we live in. And not only that, when they hate God, they love death because knowledge of God is the beginning of understanding, beginning of wisdom. And the only way that we can have life is through God. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if, you, if you're in an organization, if you're in a structure that rejects the knowledge of God and poo-poos the knowledge of God and puts it down, diminishes the knowledge of God, then what happens is people die and go to hell. So do you see how that works? If they hate God, they love death. How many of you believe hell is real? Then what I'm telling you is true. Look at Romans chapter 1. When you teach our children the consequences of rejecting God. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. Now, again, we're reading these verses. We've all seen these verses, right? But we're reading them in the context of education. What does the Bible say about education? For Verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, now, don't miss this. This hold the truth, it's the idea of holding it down. It, it's just exactly what I was talking about. It's the suppressing of the truth. Okay? So they hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. How? For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, in the public school system, is, is biblical creationism the core of the philosophy? Is it? It's not even mentioned. Now, our teachers mention it. Praise God. Thank God for godly teachers. But the system itself is predisposed against it. So let's say that a student has Brent for an hour or maybe two hours. They might have people for another six hours that would not. They might believe it themselves, but they might believe it's wrong for them to impose their religious beliefs on the kids in their class. So they teach the curriculum the way it's read or the way it's written. How many of you think that happens? How many of you think it happens more often than it doesn't happen? I'm not saying that we've got a bunch of atheists at the school. We have some. What I'm saying is they have been taught the line that it's wrong to impose their religious beliefs on someone else. And they have this idea that theism is a religious belief. That's not a religious belief. That's an acknowledgement of the truth. A religious belief would be imposing Baptist doctrine on them. That's a religious belief. So look at what the Bible says. It says that all of these things are clearly seen from the creation. Uh, look at verse 20 again. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I wonder if in the natural sciences department at Ohio State University, at Wright State University, I wonder if they are taught that when you study the creation, you learn about the power. What does it say? Even His eternal power and Godhead. Is that, what, is that what's taught? Can someone answer me? Is that what's taught? So what are they doing? They're holding the truth in unrighteousness because they know the truth. They know it. Why? Because they're clearly seen. They're clearly seen. Well, God ends up giving them over to a reprobate mind. Do we have any reprobate minds in education, do you think? Proverbs 14, 12 said, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Um, this wrath of God, I have this written in my notes, and I mentioned it this morning. What does it take to raise the ire of young people? What does it take? If you go to a Muslim nation, what does it take to raise the ire of a Muslim child? Everything. Everything. Why? Because according to Genesis and according to Galatians, Ishmael is against every man. He's wild. And they teach that theology and they teach that philosophy in the madrasas, in the schools. Are, are you ready for this? Those madrasas don't even teach the kids how to read. They just teach them how to hate. That's what the schools do. All education is indoctrination. 
They teach them how to stir up their passions. We teach them that they need to follow their passions. What do you mean, Pastor? John Dewey was the father of what is called experimental education. He, he had a philosophy. He, he, he started practicing Hegelianism. Remember what Hegel believed. It, it, it's not complicated. Hegel believed in a, it, it was called a dialectic. And that is that you have a thesis, which is an idea. And then you have an opposite idea, which is called an antithesis. And the purpose of society is to find the synthesis. All right? So, you, so in order, if I have a thesis and the opposite of it is held, in order for us to have synthesis, both of us have to give up truth. Right? So that's, that's what synthesis is. So Dewey started, he was initially influenced philosophically by Hegel. Well, towards the end of his life, he established, Dewey established a philosophy called instrumentalism. And that is, it, um, that is that Tristan here is only important as he is useful. And so that's where now he is assessed and his value is determined. You see? It all goes back to Dewey. Instrumentalism. When we understand that Tristan has worth because he was created by God for a purpose. Again, their understanding is completely opposite of what the Bible says. So we need to understand what's going on with that. So this instrumentalism, the concept is it's experiential. Uh, Dewey became an existentialist. Existentialism is the concept that you live in experience. And that if you're not experiencing something, then you're not doing. All right? So it removes the concept of rational thought, and now it goes to feeling. So whereas education used to be cognitive, that is, it teaches you how to use your brain, now it's emotive. So what the testing and assessment process does is it brings out the attitudes and values of the child. Why? Because they do not believe the child has a soul. See, I expect my children, I expect these, these guys to behave properly because they're born again, they have the Holy Spirit of God in them, and He has certain, made certain demands on their lives. Amen? How many of you all agree with that? So now I can expect a certain level of behavior from you guys. I expect you to behave differently than unsaved people would. Would you guys agree with that? I expect you to behave differently. Lydia, I expect you to behave differently than an unsaved girl. And you understand that, right? Well, see, Dewey would not accept that because he believed in the evolutionary concept where animals that, that we, we function based on stimulus and response to stimulation. Now, who is the first person you think of? Pavlov. This Pavlov got his information from Leipzig in Germany, which is where this whole philosophy that Dewey learned came from. It all comes from the same place. Conditioned responses. Why is it that they teach children? And I'm not going to say anything here. I'm expecting you adults to know what I'm talking about. Why is it that they do not expect children to restrain themselves? 
They're going to do it anyway. Why? Because it's natural. And they have no soul. Are you starting to see the depth of the difference between the secular education and what we believe? Are you beginning to see the difference? It's not just that they don't teach religion. It's that they teach a religion that is the complete opposite of our religion. There is no synthesis between the thesis and the antithesis. <laughs> and all the people said, Amen. All right, now. So number one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Number two, all education begins with knowing God. Number three, children must be educated according to God's rules. Number four, children must know the consequences of disobeying God. And then, number five, children must be taught to reject false ideas. Amen? Look at 1 Timothy 6.12. First Timothy six twelve. Sorry, make that six twenty. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, what's it say? Can I ask you a question? How many of you think that our children are taught something that's called science? Well, what does it say that Timothy's supposed to do? Avoid it. Can I just ask you a logical question? How can you avoid it? How can you teach your children to avoid it and at the same time teach them to submit to and respect their teachers that are teaching a false system? Do you understand the conflict that that raises in a child? Now, here's the point. Now, and I hope the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not telling you whether or not to send your children to that school. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you a simple question. Now, myself, I've told you this before. When I was in sixth grade, I read William Jennings Bryant's book on um, evolution and went and debated my teacher in sixth grade. It is possible for your children to stand in that situation. But they've got to be given the tools, the reinforcement. I know that Frank went through all of that Answers in Genesis curriculum for his Sunday school class. How long did it take you to do that? About six months. Letting them understand the truth of the Word of God on those issues. But again, remember, that's, that's an hour, a week. Are you following me? 
We've got to teach our children how to reject false ideas. We've got to teach them how to do that. And that is developing critical thinking. Now, it's hard to develop critical thinking in a multicultural and relativistic atmosphere where moral outrage is considered ignorance. When you're taught that, that all, of these, all of these concepts, let's not be judgmental about this behavior or this behavior or this idea or this, be, or this idea. You know, um, did anyone hear this? One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. You heard that? How's that for moral equivalency? Any of you fly a plane into a building lately? Any of you put napalm on babies lately? Have any of you done that? Do any of you have family in the military? Have they done that lately? We, we bend over backwards. We lose wars to keep from having collateral damage. When I say turn Iran into a sea of glass, the nation's responsible for their leadership, according to the Word of God. We've lost our moral compass. We need to teach our children how to accept good and reject evil. We have to teach them discernment. Look at 1 John 4, 1. Man, I got a letter from an email from a guy. He sent me like three times. And he asked me this question. Do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? All right, so let's read verses 1 and 2. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Okay, so I'm going to comment on that in a second, but I got this email, and this guy says, will you confess, and it's for the, the journal, the journal website, and he says, will you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? This guy's a whack job. I can tell this from his email, so I'm not responding to him. So he sends it like three times, and then he, he curses me. You ought to read this thing. You are condemned. You have been found a heretic. You are going to hell. You ought to read this thing, man. It is the wildest thing you have ever seen. What I can't remember all the terminology that he uses. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure why he felt like it was important for me to respond in email. Now look at this. We need to teach our children to reject false teaching, all right? We're talking about education. Now, look at this. There are many false prophets gone out into the world, verse, verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. But this is that spirit of Antichrist. Now, I mentioned, uh, I met with um, three of our teachers, Brent, Wade, and Nathaniel, Thursday evening. I wanted to get some input from them on what's it like being a teacher in the system? What can I help with? What are your struggles? And then I wanted them to know what I was going to say in these sessions. 
and get some feedback ahead of time. And they still came. Um, And one of the things that I told them was, do not feel like you need to defend your profession. Teaching is a teacher is an honorable profession. Amen? And then I said this, do not defend the system. The, the United States educational system. I said, do not defend it because it's Antichrist. I said, if you defend that system, you will be my enemy. And they're all much bigger than me, so I'm glad they are not defending the system. But here's the idea. According to the founders of our educational system, do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? So according to 1 John chapter 4, what is this system? What is it? What is it? Do you understand the position that we are in as Christians right now? That, that's, that's, you wonder why you have trouble with your kids? Where the rebellion comes from? You know that kids don't naturally rebel. How many of you have ever heard, well, when they get to a certain age, they're going to rebel? Have you heard that? Why? Because they are seeing things modeled that are contrary and endorsed that are contrary to what are taught at home and school in church. And yet we endorse it by putting them in it, buying them the clothes, buying them the music. Letting them go to the parties. We endorse it and then we condemn it when it goes too far for our taste. And you understand that one of the one of the defining characteristics of a young person is lack of discernment. How many of you understand that? And yet we expect them, like three of you, how many of you understand that the lack of discernment is one of the defining characteristics of a young person? And yet we expect them to understand the nuanced difference that we're applying to their behavior and what is considered worldly behavior. And then when we say no more and they get mad, oh, that's just teenage rebellion. Are you following me tonight? Are you with me? We need to understand that we've got to teach our children discernment. We've got to teach them to reject evil. Then number six, our children must learn who and what they are in God's plan. They have a purpose, a reason to live, and they need an education that fits this purpose. Look at Psalm chapter 8. The 8th Psalm. Technically, it's not Psalm chapter 8, but that's okay. I heard a guy on TV supposedly preaching, and listen to what he said. God's not mad at you. How many of you ever heard somebody say something like that? God's not mad at you. Look at Psalm chapter 8 and verse 11. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. It's the altar version. 
God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So if someone says God's not mad at you, either he's only talking to believers or he's not read the Bible. Now look at Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now we can say amen to that, can't we? Now look at this. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? All right, so now, remember, we're reading these verses. How many of you have ever seen these, this, these verses before? But we're now reading them in the context of education. We're trying to look at the world through biblical glasses. All right, so what are some things that my children need to learn from this passage? That God's glory is excellent and it's above all the earth, right? The works of thy fingers, that God created the earth. And then we put man in his place. Do you know that you do not deserve to have God speak to you? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. They need to know their proper place. It's an honor for, God, for them to know God. It's a privilege. It's called grace. Look at the next verse. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Are they going to learn that in school? Grace Baptist Church, are they going to learn that at school? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You know what their place is? They're above the animals. They are not animals. You're not an animal. Don't act like one. Control yourself. You're not an animal. And if you want to kill an animal and eat it, go ahead. That's why they're made out of meat. Amen? Fish and sheep and oxen, we have dominion over them. They do not have rights. I just heard someone say on, the, on, uh, on Hannity, uh, Sean Hannity's show, it was Tucker Carlson, a supposed Republican, and he said he thought that Michael Vick should have gone to prison for life for what he did to those dogs. Now, look, I don't like what he did to those dogs. I don't like that. I think that he ought to be horse-whipped. Just beat the fire out of him. All right? I, I think it's horrible what he... But they're dogs! You know, it's not like he's Michael Jackson. You see how screwed up we are? It's nuts. It's nuts. They're animals. Children are people. I wonder how many babies he's killed. We need to teach our children their place in the world. 
their place of responsibility, their place of accountability to God, their place of dominion over those animals. And the idea of dominion, there is stewardship involved with that, right? We don't just go kill them just to kill them. You don't kill something unless you're going to eat it, unless you're doing it for life because somebody else may need to eat that thing down the road. Amen? That's the idea of dominion. All right. Have you all had enough yet? Children must learn who they are in God's plan. Then number seven. How about this? What does the Bible say about education? It says how to be successful. Any of you want your kids to be successful? The Bible says, look at at, uh, Deuteronomy 6. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen these verses before, but we're looking at them in the context of education. (laughs) All right? So let's think about that as we read these verses. Let's start reading in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that ye mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them. What's this word right here? Unto who? Who? Which children? Whose responsibility is to teach your kids? And how are you supposed to teach them? And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now stop for a second there. I want you to compare that to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That is the direct correlation to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now look at what it says in verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and between, and they shall be uh, as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Is there a lot of Scripture posted at the school? Is there a lot of scriptural instruction while they're walking in the way, while they're sitting, while they're lying down? Are they learning about the law of the Lord? Look, the Bible makes it very clear how we can have good success. The Bible says that in Joshua, and it makes it very clear. If we just obey the Lord, we we, we obey His precepts, 
we're grounded in them. We know them. We memorize them. We walk in them. That we live as Christians. What we have just seen from the Word of God is what the Bible says about education. I wonder if what I just taught you is taught in any of the in-service times that the teachers will have this year. Listen, we need to pray for our godly teachers. But we need to understand, how many of you want your children to serve the Lord, your grandchildren to serve the Lord? Do you really care about it? You need to know what's going on in their school. You need to know what's being taught. You need to know what they're listening to on their iPod. You need to know what they're looking at on the computer. You need to know what they're watching on television. You need to know what their teachers are teaching. You need to know what their influences are. You need to know what they're learning in art class. I I could do a whole message just on art. When when it came to Picasso and and all of, of his mess... You understand that was screaming against conformity. That was screaming against beauty. Screaming against it. The the way that girls dress now, where they are intentionally made ugly. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Let's make their eyes as black as they can. Let's get their hair as weird a color as possible, as unnatural as possible. Let's put them in clothes that wouldn't look good on a hobo and call it beauty. Satan hates beauty. And we all know what beauty is. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, but we know it's not that. Are you all with me? What are they being taught? What's being modeled for them? What are we doing? What is education? Modern education, according to the Word of God, is the counsel of the ungodly. Folks, we need to get back control of the reins of our children's education. Now, it's between you and God whether you homeschool, whether you send them to Christian school, whether you um, send them to public school, or whether you don't educate them at all. That's between you and God. But it's no one else's responsibility. And you are going to stand before God and give an account for the type of education that you have given to your kids. Amen? How many of you remember something that happened at school that you wish you never knew? Yeah. It might have happened at a Christian school. It might have happened at a Christian camp. Amen? We need to know what's going on with our kids. Your Heavenly Father.